Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Gospel Church. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be, if, if you don't know me, my, my name's Matt, and I'm going to be preaching uh, both this morning and on uh, Sunday as well. Um, yeah, and, and so this is going to be a little bit different than usual. Normally, you know, we're going through books of the Bible, set passages, things like that. Um, but this is a little bit different this weekend. I've kind of been given free reign to, to preach on, on whatever I like. And, and you'll be shocked to hear this morning that I'm going to be preaching on, on Christ's death. And on Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the resurrection. So it's... It's, it's not breaking the mold, it's not really shaking things up, but I don't think I need to because it's the gospel, right? It's the, the good news that Jesus came to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. I mean, that, that's always good news, right? It's always relevant to what's going on in our lives. It always applies to each and every one of us. Whatever's been going on in your life in the past year or the past week, it's still good news. It's still good news 2,000 years later. It's still worth celebrating. And so that's what we're going to be doing this, this weekend. And so I'm going to talk about why Jesus had to come and die, why we're celebrating that fact, and why we should place our trust in Him. And, and so I want to talk about it from the angle of finding hope in Jesus. Because Jesus does offer us hope in a world that seems pretty hopeless. Right? Like, if, if you read a, a history book, it, it's not exactly all flowers and rainbows. It's not really uh, enjoyable or pleasant reading about the history of humanity. But I, I, I kind of feel like the state of the world has been hitting us a lot over the last few months, years, maybe. Uh, and it's probably not because things have actually gotten worse. Like, there's always been wars and famine and evil politicians and diseases and all sorts of problems. So comparatively, we actually have things pretty good, but uh, I, I kind of feel like the, yeah, the last few years have been hitting us as far as, and it may, maybe things politically seem more heated thanks to social media. Maybe we're concerned about the, the state of the world or the, the moral decline in our, in our own country that seems to get us down. Maybe it's because of the global pandemic. The last year has kind of shaken things up just a little bit. You know, we've had the rug pulled out from under us. We kind of realise that, hey, we're not actually in control. We're not on the throne. We don't have control over our own lives. You know, the knowledge that things can be changed in, in an instant. And maybe that's just a sign that we're actually placing our hope in the wrong things or in the wrong people. And so this morning, I'm going to be giving a message that, that offers hope in a world that otherwise seems hopeless. And so first I want to look at where we go wrong, though, where we, where we look to find hope foolishly, where we, where we fail to find hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so first of all, so this is the kind of little poster thing I made. Does anyone recognise where I got this idea from this morning? I wasn't sure if that went over a few people's heads. Bam, next slide. There we go. Okay, so... Uh, in, in 2008, there was a, a poster, circ poster circling around, uh, circulated around America during Obama's first campaign for, for US president. So simply a picture of his face and the word hope. And as I'm sure most of you know, you know your history, Obama went on to win the election and then there was no more wars, world peace ensued, you know, there, there was racism and poverty came to an end and then they've gone on to have one amazing president after the other, right? <laughs> Okay, not, not quite, not quite. But it's, 
So, so my point here isn't to make a political statement about one side or the other. The point is the insanity of a poster like this, the, the insanity of the idea of placing your hope in a politician of all people. Like, really, people, politicians. But we all do it. Like, even within the church, I see how worried we all get about elections. W whichever side of politics you're on, whether the media, social media, within the church, we freak out about it because we place our hope in it. If only we can get the right person in, then society will be okay, then the world will be fixed, then the world will be a better place, then I'll be okay, or then I'll have more freedom. So within the church, we, we love saying the phrase, God is on the throne, but then worrying like he's not. And don't misunderstand that there are huge ramifications for the politicians that we vote in. If we vote in better or worse politicians, it, it does affect us. There is problems with voting in corrupt leaders, but, but thinking that voting in the right people will give us hope, that it will fix all of our problems, that it will give us long-term future hope, it, it's foolish. And I know we've, I've seen this attitude even with, within Australia, you know, slightly less chaotic than American politics, but, but I know when, you know, a conservative government got voted in, went, phew, Australian society will be preserved for just that little bit longer. But, but really, like, has it solved anything? Has it, has it fixed anything or made society better? Or has it saved a single soul for eternity? Has it achieved anything of eternal significance? Not, not really. And so I'm not saying we remove ourselves from politics. But don't place your hope in this. Because what happens when things don't go your way? What happens when, you know, the quote, other side wins? Because the, re the reality is every human leader will fail us. This is what the psalmist wrote about this in Psalm 146. It says, put not your trust in princes, and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that, on that very day, his plans perish. And then later on in verse 10, it says, but the Lord reigns forever. So we can't place our hope in leaders because they'll come to an end. They'll all fail us eventually or they'll die. Even nations, right? We place our hope in the concept of being in this great nation right and, and I, I love living in Australia I think we've got things pretty good here especially during COVID we've got a good climate we've got good health care things are reasonably safe and um, don't have to lock, lock the car or the house or anything like that although I shouldn't be advertising that fact but <laughs> ignore that part or remove that from the audio but, but thing, things are pretty good but I can't place my hope in society or Australia staying the way it is forever if, just like Throughout history, every leader, every great nation, every empire comes to an end and eventually falls. We can't place our hope in things remaining nice and comfortable here forever. That's uh, another, another psalm. In Psalm 33, this is talking about the military might of a nation. It says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. That's what we put our hope in, the Lord. But maybe that's not you. I'm, I'm just picking this as examples. Maybe that's not you. Maybe 
uh, you don't really care about politics, that's probably a good thing. Maybe you're not fussed about the state of our nation, but maybe it's comfort or, or health or, or wealth. So when, when I say wealth, I'm, I'm not really referring to fat cat billionaires, um, you know, sleeping on piles of money and things like that. I mean, we're, we're all rich comparatively, right? I, I know uh, John mentioned this um, back when we were going through our series in, in Luke, um, when he was preaching a few weeks ago, of just how comparatively how rich we are compared to the rest of the world and to the rest of history. The, the fact that we have a roof over our head, the fact that we have... Yeah, full-time jobs, food every single day. We're rich comparatively. And, and so I think it's pretty easy to, to look to this comfort to find hope. See, see, the Australian dream isn't to have a Ferrari and a giant mansion. It, it's to have to not worry about bills, not even think about money, and then retire early. And we think, once I get to this stage, you know, once I've paid off the house, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be secure. Then I'll have this extra freedom. Now, I, I know I'm guilty of this when it comes to ticking off life achievements. Like when I, you know, when I get this degree or I get that job, th then I'll, I'll tick off this and, and I can say that my life is successful. But, but it doesn't work. Right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with setting goals and I'm not saying don't pay off your house or anything like that. But if you're placing your hope in material wealth or even material comfort, it won't last. It won't satisfy and it definitely won't help you in eternity. And obviously the Bible has a lot to say about the, the, the fleeting nature of, of wealth. So in Proverbs 11, 7, it says, When the wicked dies, his hopes will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. And Paul wrote it in First Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who provides, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then Jesus basically said the same thing in Matthew 6. Do, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where Thieves do not break in and steal. Right. It won't last. Th these things are, are, are foolish things to put our hope in because they don't last. It won't last forever. You can't take it with you when you die. So you can't trust in comfort. You can't trust in wealth. You can't even trust in their health. It'll inevitably, eventually fail us. And so this is where we get to the crux of the issue. Right? These things are false hopes. One, because they don't address our primary need. But, and that's because they're temporary measures. They're not eternal measures. It doesn't give us an eternal hope. So we need something that lasts. We need something that addresses our true problem. And, and, and the Bible reveals to us a, a very harsh but a very accurate picture of humanity. It doesn't... It doesn't sugarcoat things, but it exposes our reality before God. And that's that, that first of all, that we've sinned against God. We, we've broken His laws. 
I mean, you, you can you can go through the list of, of all the all the commandments and see where we've broken them. But uh, but Jesus summed up the law in that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if we look at how we treat our neighbors, we do fail to love them as we love ourselves. We we do focus on ourselves. We love ourselves more than others. We don't treat others as we want to be treated. And we don't love God like we ought to. I mean, we, we were created to worship and praise Him. And yet, I know for me, my, my natural state is, is to worship and look after myself before God, to put my own interests ahead of others and ahead of God's desire for my life. And so we've all sinned against God, but the reality is that this separates us from God, that, that, it, that it severs the relationship with a holy God. See, He's a holy and just God, which means we can't ignore our sin. So we don't just need help and we don't need hope, we need a saviour. We need forgiveness and we need reconciliation with God. And so that's the biggest question you can ask yourself right now, is do you know God? Have, have you found forgiveness? Like a, a lot of people know that something has gone wrong between God and humanity. We, you know, we all know something's wrong with the world. And a lot of people, we, we know that something is wrong between God and man. We, we have a conscience that, that tells us when we've done wrong. You know, I've, I've, you know, very few of us claim perfection. I've, I've met a few people, but, but not many. And, and so the question is, how do we respond to this, right? When, when we recognize our sins, when we recognize that we're not right with God and something needs to be done to fix this, the, the problem is, is that once again, we have this tendency to find hope in all the wrong places or search for hope in all the wrong places. You know, most of the time we, with delusional self-confidence, We'll look to ourselves. And I think pr pretty much all other world religions and uh, forms of spirituality cause us to look to our own abilities and our own actions to fix ourselves. And, and Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for exactly this type of thinking. So this is in John 5.45. Jesus said, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. So when Jesus says Moses here, he's referring to the law. The, the, the Pharisees were placing their hope in their ability to keep the law. And, and if, if you're doing that, if you're placing your hope in your ability to fix yourself, to keep God's law, I mean, pre prepare to be disappointed. You'll either be disappointed in this life or disappointed in, in the next when you realize it, it doesn't work. It won't work because it doesn't help us when we stand before a holy God and be judged. But this, this isn't just something that, you know, those bad old Pharisees do or all those other world religions. Are. I, I think we're all capable of thinking like this. We all have this natural tendency to look to ourselves. We look to ourselves for self-improvement. We, we, we trust in our own religious achievements. You know, but perhaps even this weekend, I know there are so many people that might only go to church for, for Christmas and Easter. And, and that's great if, if you're here this one time for Christmas or, e or for Easter. 
But that doesn't save you. Coming to church won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. See, placing your hope in your ability to change and fix yourselves or do some good works to appease God is even crazier than putting hope in a politician you know, or in wealth. Like the, like the longer I know myself, the less confidence I have in my own abilities. The, the more, isn't that true of the Christian life? We, we realize more and more and more our dependence upon God. So when we correctly identify that the main problem in the world is us, it, it helps us look to Jesus and love the solution that he provides, the good news of the gospel. See, the, the problem with the world, and I talked at the start about how the world seems hopeless, but the problem of the world is, is, is me, that, that I was born without hope, that I was born an enemy of God in need of rescue. And so it's pretty easy to, to point the finger look around and say, oh, that over there, that, that's what's wrong with the world, those people or that thing or that ideology. And we either do that on the TV or even in the people around us in our own lives that they're what's wrong with the world. But to correctly recognise our own hopeless and helpless situation and our condition, that takes self-examination, it takes humility. So Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's us. We're the ones who are sick. We're the ones in need of a doctor. We're not the righteous. We're the, the sinners that God calls to repentance. And that's exactly how many of us have found hope. Right? We've recognized our need. And we've come to know how Jesus can offer hope in this situation how he can fix our primary problem. He is the one who can forgive our sins and he's the one who can reconcile us with God. That's why we celebrate, not, not just today, but, but every week and every day. God had a plan to rescue us. And, and he had to be the one to have a plan to rescue us, right? We, we weren't the ones doing something about it. We weren't orchestrating our own salvation or demanding something from God. The, the good news is God stepping down into his own creation to rescue a people who are running in the opposite direction. Then he was born into his own creation, not only to, to live a perfect life and an example, you know, and, and on our behalf, but he was born always planning to die, to go to the cross for our sins. And so if you haven't heard this message before, you know, have, have you always found it weird that Christians come together to celebrate the fact that Jesus died? You know, they'll, they'll sing songs to him and praise him and then we celebrate the crucifixion. You know, the, the fact that he underwent a completely unjust trial, that he was whipped and beaten and, and mocked, walked all the way up Calvary and was nailed to a cross, mocked even more and then died. You know, one of, the, one of the worst forms of Roman execution ever devised. It's, it's a horrible and brutal tragedy and, and we come together and sing about it and praise him and celebrate it. But, but we're not celebrating the crucifixion. We're, we're celebrating what Jesus was accomplishing through his death. 
It, it, it all makes sense when we understand why Jesus died. He was making a way for us to be forgiven. He was solving this ultimate problem that we have in our hopeless state. It all makes sense when we understand God's justice and His mercy. So first of all, we need to understand that God is just. Uh, I, I said before that we were in a, a helpless and hopeless state, um, not just in the sense that we can't fix ourselves, but also the horrible predicament that we find ourselves, that we've sinned against a God who is just and holy. He, he's a good judge who will do right, and we have broken His laws. And if He's a good, just judge, then He won't ignore that. He won't just wave a magic forgiveness wand and pretend that it didn't happen. He'll do what is right and judge sin. But we also know that God is loving and merciful, desiring to forgive us, desiring to draw us back to Himself so that we can be in a right relationship. And so how do we get around this predicament? How do we get around the fact that God is just and yet God is loving and merciful. How does He deal with our sin and show us mercy? Well, I, I think it, it all makes sense. The, the, the passage that I was reading when this all clicked for me uh, was in, in Romans 3. And if, if you've got a Bible, t turn to Romans 3, 23. Starting off with the first Sunday school verse we all ever learn, I think, is Romans 3, 23. Romans 3.23 says, for all, and continuing on, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we've got the two sides there. We've sinned against God and yet in the very next verse it says, we're justified freely by His grace. That, that means that He's provided forgiveness for us. And so how we reconcile those two, those two facts is found in the next verse. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So we celebrate this horrific event and we, and we call it Good Friday because Jesus was satisfying divine justice. You know, in, in the past He had left sins unpunished but now He's dealt with sins and our sins once and for all. He was demonstrating His justice as well as His love. See, later on in, in Romans, in, in Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So He didn't just die in general, He died for us. Jesus came to die for your sins. I think that, that, that's when I truly understood the gospel was not, not just recognizing the, the truth of Christianity in, in, an historical, in an historical sense, not that it was just you know, an historically accurate record that Christ died and then they, that He was raised from the dead and there were eyewitnesses that saw Him, that, that's all true. But it's understanding more than that. It, it's understanding that the very sins that you have committed this week, Christ died for those sins the sins that you're struggling with at the moment or the sins that you're not struggling with at the moment because you don't even know what you're doing. Christ came to save you and die for those sins. 
The moments where you put your hope in anything else, he came to die for those sins. The moments where you worship anything else above Christ, the moments where you put your hope in, your, in yourself, in your own confidence, because of pride, Christ came to die for those sins. See, Jesus, when he was on that cross, he bore those sins. And he was punished by God the Father so that you wouldn't have to. He was paying your fine. It's, it's like we're in the courtroom before God the Father who is a just judge and Jesus bursts through the door and pays our fine with his own life. That's the hope that he gives us. And this is, this is better news than, than anything else because it deals with our ultimate problem. It deals with our ultimate need. Because he satisfied divine justice, he can forgive your sins and you can be in a right relationship with God. We can be confident when we place our hope in Jesus. See, so many other things, so many other people will inevitably and eventually let you down. But Jesus is a sure hope because we have the promises of Scripture that, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, He will save you. And, and, and we know it's true, and this is a major spoiler for Sunday service because He rose again from the dead. I'm not going to not mention that today. He rose again from the dead to, to ensure us that God satisfied justice on Jesus, that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our sins, that he can forgive you today. So it doesn't mean that life will be perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't have immediate, you know, that, that you'll have immediate comfort in every area of your life, but, but he'll save you. He will fulfill his promises. He'll offer you hope here and now and salvation. And He'll give you hope for the future. He'll give you eternal life. He'll one day restore uh, the earth and the new heavens and new earth. But again, that's come back Sunday if you want to hear all about the future hope that we have through the resurrection. So, so the million dollar question is, where does your hope lie? Uh, what, what is your life built upon this morning? Uh, are, you, are you placing your hope in other people? Uh, are you trusting in material wealth or, or comfort or health or success? W whatever it is, I'm just giving examples here, but the, the reality is whatever it is that you think of that you're placing your hope in other than Christ, it won't last and it won't save you. Are you trusting in your own ability to get right with God, thinking, well, I'm hoping I've done enough. I, I, I hope I've been good enough. It won't work. It won't save you. So the question is, have you trusted in Christ? Have you found hope in Him? And because that, that's all we need to do. We just need to believe. The, the, the Bible uses different terms, whether it's faith, believe, trust. They're all used interchangeably, that we find our trust and our hope in Jesus, place our confidence in Him and not anything else. Not in our own strength, not in other people, but in Him. It's the only thing that will ultimately save us in the long term. So Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Right, so that's the most important thing that you can do is know that your eternity is secure. 
you can walk out of here today knowing that you're right with God, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you know Him. And all you have to do is trust in Him and, and look to what He was willing to do to save you, to go to the cross. So I just want to close with, with one final verse in uh, Ephesians 2. Says, uh, Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's each and every one of us. We were all without hope until Jesus shed his blood to bring us near to God. And so if you haven't been brought near to God, if you don't know him, then do that now. Do it today. Cry out, call upon him, and he will save you. He will draw you near to himself. And for those of us who already know the gospel, we've already come to know Jesus, we can still fall into these same traps, right, of finding our hope and finding our confidence in other things. And yet our aim in life is to continually, not just our first moment of salvation, but continually look to the cross of Christ, look to his resurrection and find hope, not just now, but for the future as well. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing plan of salvation. Lord, we thank you that, that when we were without hope, you chose to come and save us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived the life that we couldn't live. We thank you that you died in our place. We thank you that you've washed away all of our sin. We thank you that you defeated death and rose again. We thank you that you offer forgiveness to us today. Lord, we pray that if there are people here that don't yet know you, that you would open their hearts and open their eyes to see the truth of the gospel so that they might be saved. Glorify yourself by saving people here, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus.